During a Sunday morning sermon, a pastor said to his congregation, whoever wants to go to heaven, stand up. Well, everyone stood up except one man sleeping in the back of the church. When the preacher told them they could sit down, he asked the question, Now, anyone who wants to go to hell, stand up. Well, about that time, that sleeping man awoke, and he stood up. And as he looked around, he realized he was the only one standing in the congregation, and he yelled to the preacher, I don't know what we're voting for, but it appears you and I, preacher, are the only ones who are for it. That man stood up, but he was standing for the wrong thing. And folks, I'm afraid that's where a lot of people are today, confused about what is right and wrong, making terrible choices, following the voices of an ungodly and even un-American culture. And that's why we honor veterans today, because brave men and women throughout our history have stood for the right things our nation stands for. Freedom and justice for all, the same things the first patriots stood for, who said we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The freedom to speak our minds, to worship as we choose, to own weapons and defend ourselves, to choose our own leaders to lead us, to defend our liberties. This is why our veterans stood and why they deserve our honor. One hundred years ago, preacher Charles Frederick Aikid said, The sin of doing nothing is the deadliest of all the seven sins. It's been said that for evil men to accomplish their purpose, it is only necessary that good men should do nothing. Now the origin of that statement is not clear, but the principle is as old as mankind itself. In the Garden of Eden, when the world was perfect, Satan showed up. He's been showing up ever since, and he's showing up in full force today. The devil has so corrupted minds that many people are confused about what is good and what is evil. All ages of people are falling into his trap, embracing immorality, greed, murder, profanity, and ignoring God. In Maine, a parent was banned from school property for speaking out against school library books that promoted transgenderism and pornography. In Virginia, it took a judge's order to remove several books from school libraries that were filled with vulgarities and sexual scenes promoting obscene behavior. Yes, it is apparent today that all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. The good news is that while evil is running rampant, there are some good people standing up against it, standing up for what is right. Standing up for what is right is risky, especially when surrounded by people who are confused about the wrong. Sometimes it may mean standing alone. Sometimes it might cost. But standing up for what is right is always the right thing to do. And that's where Paul found himself in Acts chapter 26. After being raised to hate Christ, after several years of persecuting Christians... Paul spent the rest of his life making up for his wrong. Helping others know 
the truth of Jesus, showing others the power of God's transforming grace. He preached the gospel and planted churches throughout his world. And then, after he had finished his three missionary journeys, Paul began his last mission to take the gospel to Rome, to preach Jesus in the most powerful city on earth and before the most powerful people on earth. That's where we see Paul in Acts chapter 26, accused by the Jews, standing before rulers of the Roman Empire, the Roman procurator Festus, the the king Agrippa. What would Paul say when his life hung in the balance? What would he stand upon when he had to stand alone? That's what we see as we continue our study of Paul's life and God's transforming grace. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 26. We'll we'll uh, read the last of chapter 25 and chapter 6 as we study God's Word together and look at His transforming grace. Would you pray with me for just a moment? And I'll be sitting down, standing up a little bit, and I hope you understand that. Okay, Let's pray. Father, we thank You so many days we live and we go through life just needing you and God sometimes things get so bad that we feel like we're all alone Lord we're never alone no matter where we are we're never alone because you're always there with us and Lord as we see dark days around us and we see more and more people doing wrong things and believing in wrong things God it just takes somebody somebody with some courage somebody with some faith to stand up and say, let me give you the truth. Father, I pray that would be my prayer today, that every one of us, that your Holy Spirit would tug at our hearts. And Lord, we're not many people here today. But God, we thank you that there are people watching. And I pray that everywhere, every person that hears this, Lord, I pray that your truth would make a difference in their life. And God, that we would not stand back and do nothing while the world crumbles morally around us, we pray that we would stand up and speak the truth of Jesus. We would do so unashamedly. We would do so loudly and boldly. I pray that today you would call us to stand. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, first let's take a look and see how Paul got uh, to this place. Uh, After Paul had completed his years of missionary service, he returned to Jerusalem and he confronted the Jews in, the one, in one last attempt to convince them that Jesus was the long prayed for and prophesied Messiah, the hope of Israel. The Jews, still blinded by their own arrogance and tradition, they rejected Paul and attempted to kill him. They put a price on his head. Paul was rescued by a Roman tribune named Claudius Lysias and was taken to Caesarea to be tried before the Roman procurator, Claudius Festus. Now Festus heard the Jews' charges against Paul, but found no violation of Roman law. So Festus asked Paul if he'd like to go to Jerusalem and stand trial and answer the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court in Jerusalem. Well, let's remember what happened a decade earlier when an innocent man, a man speaking the truth, stood before the Sanhedrin. We read in Matthew 26. I have it on the screen for you. And the high priest arose and said to him, this is Jesus, 
Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you've heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and they said, He's deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. Just look at how these Jews treated Jesus. They mocked him, slapped him, beat him, spit upon him. They worked up the crowd so that the whole crowd called out, Crucify him, crucify him. But why? Why would they call out, crucify, and one so, so wonderful? Because they were following the voices of an angry and selfish and misguided leadership. You see, the Jewish government leaders persuaded the people that Jesus was not the Messiah, not the Savior, just a man, Friends, let me tell you, it all boils down to this. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Now, the Scriptures make it clear. The angels knew who Jesus was. When He was born, they told the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Savior, who is Christ the Lord. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. When he saw Jesus, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Peter knew who Jesus was. Matthew 16 says, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The thief on the cross knew who Jesus was. Luke 23 reminds us, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The Roman centurion and the guards who saw Jesus crucified on the cross knew who Jesus was. Matthew 27 records, So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul knew who Jesus was. He said, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends, all these people knew who Jesus was. So the question is, who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus just a man whose birthday we celebrate at Christmas? Or is He the Savior who suffered and died on the cross to pay for your sins so that you can be forgiven and have eternal life in heaven? That's the question we all must face. Who is Jesus to me? Folks, that this answer determines our eternal destiny. And if so, then it's worth remembering that no matter what we face in life, Jesus is what we need. When you face trouble, remember who Jesus is to you. When you face pain, remember who Jesus is to you. When you face death, remember who Jesus is to you. 
when you stand in the middle of confusion and enemies who love sin and embrace evil, remember who Jesus is to you. That's what Paul did in Caesarea when Festus asked Paul if he wanted to return to Jerusalem and face the Jews. Paul said in Acts 25 verse 10, notice what he said. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I've done no wrong, and you know that very well. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. And in Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. Within days of Paul's appeal to Caesar, Festus received a visit from the Jewish king, King Agrippa II, and his sister Bernice. Herod Agrippa II was the son of Herod Agrippa I. And he was the great-grandson of Herod the Great. You remember that name, Herod the Great? He was the king, the, the, he was the wicked king who was in power when Jesus was born. When he was a, when he was a, a, a little boy and the wise men came, they came to Jerusalem, they saw Herod the Great, and they said to him, uh, uh, we've seen... The king's star in the east, the newborn king, we've come to worship him. And Herod sent them, and Herod secretly wanted to destroy Jesus. That's Herod the Great. This is his great-grandson, Herod Agrippa II. Now, Herod Agrippa II was not such a wicked king. In fact, the, the historians speak pretty highly of him. It is Herod Agrippa II that would hear Paul's, that would hear Paul's defense. Festus felt that Agrippa could help him better understand the Jewish charges against Paul and what to include in a report to Rome. So look in verses 23 through 27 of chapter 25 and we'll see what happened. So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice, who had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner to Rome and not specify the charges against him. Paul had appealed to the emperor, and as a Roman citizen, he had the right to have charges read against him at a trial. So what would Paul say before Agrippa? For a moment, I want you to put yourself in Paul's position. Standing before a very powerful person, having to defend your faith. That's what was on trial here, Paul's faith. How would you defend what you believe about Jesus Christ? Let's look at chapter 26, verses 1 through 3. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. And Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. This was not a trial, it was a speech. 
Paul stood up before them and he held out his hand as a Greek orator would hold out his hand. And often they held out their hand the entire time while they were speaking. It was a speech being made. And he was speaking to a king, Agrippa, who had Jewish origins, who understood the Jewish traditions and theology. So as Paul eloquently spoke, he didn't attack his enemies. He merely presented his apologia. He presented his testimony of how Jesus had appeared to him and had transformed his life. We see in verses 4 through 8, notice with me, chapter 26. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, from all the, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you? that God raises the dead. You see, Paul began by connecting himself to the very people who had accused him, the Jews. Paul had been raised a Jew, taught us a Pharisee from the time he was a child. Paul, as all these Jews did, Paul prayed and they prayed for the coming Messiah, the hope of Israel. As a Pharisee, Paul believed in the resurrection of the just to the kingdom of Messiah. The kingdom of which the prophets foretold. Zechariah prophesied, And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord, read that with me, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, The Lord is one and His name one. That was the hope of Israel that their Messiah would be the king over all the earth, the king of both Jews and Gentiles. Many of these Pharisees, many of these corrupt Jewish leaders had forgotten that. Paul said, it is for my hope in the future kingdom of Messiah that the Jews oppose me. And that was true. You see, the Jews wanted a kingdom, but not the way God intended. They wanted a conquering king not a suffering Savior. So they rejected Jesus and they rejected His followers, including Paul. So Paul said in Acts 26, verse 9, He said, I indeed, indeed I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often, often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Through his own arrogance and ignorance, Paul had been one of those Jews who persecuted the followers of Christ. Why would they... Why would they resist and persecute one, the one who called for peace and love? Why would they so viciously oppose the Jesus who called us to love one another, to love God with all our hearts and love others as ourselves? It's because their love for their religion had become more important than their love for God. Friends, let me tell you, there are people today who are forming their own religions around certain social 
and global issues. And they are viciously opposed to anyone who will question their religion. They fear for their religion. So they censor anyone who will try to question the validity of their claims. But I want to tell you something. We don't have to fear the truth. The truth will stand in the face of questions. The truth of Jesus Christ has stood for more than 2,000 years. And it will be standing when all these man-made belief systems crumble. When Paul had the opportunity to defend his faith, he was not afraid his faith would, would fail. Paul knew that truth endures. And the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ will stand when everything else fails. Do you believe that? Amen? The psalmist said, The, the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endures to all generations. Jesus had told Paul He would declare His name before kings. And that is exactly what Paul was doing on this day before Agrippa. Look at verses 12 through 18 with me. While thus occupied, Paul continued, As I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, in midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads were little sharp rock outcroppings. And when camels or other donkeys or other things would kick, they'd take them up against those goads and let them kick the goads a little while. And it wasn't very comfortable, so they would help them stop kicking. Paul, Jesus said to Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads to kick against me, against something that is immovable. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from the darkness to light. And I want you to notice this. I want you to notice why Jesus sent Paul to these people. The same reason He's sending you in your world today. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What did Paul say when he had to defend his faith in Jesus? He simply told the story of what Jesus had done in his life. Paul shared with King Agrippa and all those around him what his life had been like before he met Jesus. How he persecuted Christians. And then how the resurrected Savior had appeared to him and called him to take the message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ to the world. Look at verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works, befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand 
witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that He would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. The death and resurrection of Jesus was at the heart of Paul's message. The long-awaited prophesied Messiah, the hope of Israel in the world, had died on the cross and had risen from the dead. And for faith in Him, in Messiah Jesus, Paul, Paul stood accused before them that day. Paul just told them the truth. He stood for what was right. That God, through Jesus Christ, the living Christ, wanted to save the world. Festus had heard enough. All that Jewish prophecy... All that talk of resurrection was too much for his unbelieving mind. Look at verse 24. Now as Paul thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. Paul was right. All these things were not secret events. The Jews and the Romans knew of the execution of Jesus. They knew of the claims by others that they had seen Jesus alive after his death. They knew but they did not want to believe. Festus said, Paul, any Jew or Roman knows that a person cannot rise from the dead. Christianity just doesn't make sense to people. Our selfish world sees no reason to attend church or study the Bible or believe in a heaven or hell. It just doesn't make sense to an unbelieving mind. And that's why Festus attacked Paul. That's why the Jews attack Paul. And friends, that's why enemies attack us today. Because listen, when you cannot defeat the message of truth, attack the messengers. And it's happening today. And Christians, as we see the day approaching when our Lord will return, you and I surely are going to face moments when we are attacked and called upon to stand up for what we know to be true that Jesus is alive, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He shed His blood for us, that our sins might be forgiven, and He rose from the dead to give us life everlasting, and one day to take us into His glorious kingdom. If you believe that, say Amen. And that's our message. Dr. William Larkin said, there are certain defining moments that forever change the identity and destiny of an individual, movement, or nation. The, the, the moment may be as commonplace as the birth of a child, or as unique as the extraordinary British defeat of the Spanish Armada. The defining moment for all of human history and for every individual is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Prisoner Paul boldly proclaims this before Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice in his final missionary preaching in Acts. To embrace this proclamation is to permit the purpose of Luke and Acts to be fulfilled in one's life. Paul had believed the truth 
of Jesus. And he was willing to stand up for it. No matter where he found himself, no matter who was listening, Paul preached the same message of how the resurrected Christ Jesus had transformed his life. Because of Paul's faith in Christ, countless thousands of people in his world had been saved by the transforming grace of God. Because Paul was willing to stand in that faith, Paul was willing to plant church. He was, God used him to plant churches all over the world. And because Paul was willing to stand for the truth of Jesus, God put him in a room that day with some of the most powerful people on the earth. Paul shared the truth of what faith in Jesus Christ can do. And then he gave the invitation. Look at verse 27. Paul said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. I want you to think about what he said there. Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul said, I would to God that not only you, King Agrippa, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, a follower of Christ, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king Agrippa stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves. And they said to themselves, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. And then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul's message, the truth of Jesus, was all it took to touch the heart of the king. Agrippa said, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. You know, maybe Agrippa became a Christian later. I don't know. It's possible. But what we do know is on that day, when Paul had the opportunity, the king and all those in that room heard the only message that can bring God's forgiveness and eternal life, the message of Jesus. I want to tell you something, folks. I'm a parent and a grandparent now. And as we raise our children, our grandchildren, we can, we're going to tell them all kinds of things. We're going to teach them all kinds of things about life. We're gonna, they're going to learn truths and they're going to hear lies. And we're, but they're going to hear messages and they're going to hear them from us. And I want to tell you, we can teach them all kinds of great things about life. But the most important thing we can teach them is to love Jesus with all their heart. To Paul, Jesus was everything. He knew the only message that can bring God's forgiveness and eternal life is the message of Jesus. To Paul, he was the Savior for whom he was willing to sacrifice everything. In fact, standing in that room, Paul had given up everything. Paul knew Jesus not only as Savior, but as his comfort, as his strength, as his protector and provider. Paul knew Jesus as the one who was worth living and dying for. And that's why 
when it counted, Paul stood for Jesus. And that's our grace principle today. Let's read it together. Ready? The grace of God that makes Jesus personal gives us the faith that makes him known publicly. The Lord Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so he could be your personal Savior. When he calls you through the Holy Spirit to know him and receive him, it's a personal call. When you believe in him and you receive him into your life, it is a personal thing. But once you have personally received Jesus, it is up to you to stand publicly for him. Paul did. Paul did. And like Paul, true believers want others to know Jesus and follow Jesus. Isn't that what he said? He told the King Agrippa, he said, King Agrippa, I wish you and Festus and all these people around you, Bernice, I wish all of you knew Jesus, the same Jesus that I know. And friends, when we have Jesus, when we really have Jesus in our heart, then we want others to know our Jesus. We want others to know the truth and live the truth. Jesus said in John 8, read this verse with me. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Sure, Paul was imprisoned as in the, by the Romans <laughs> while he stood in that room. Festus and Agrippa didn't realize, though, that Paul was already free. He was more free than they were. And it was his faith that made him free. And Paul proved it by standing. When the moment came, he stood for Jesus. Jesus meant that much to him. Everything that was happening in his life, God had planned it. God had a kingdom plan for Paul, and that's why he stood there before them in that room. And folks, God has a kingdom plan for you to be where you will be. And when that opportunity comes, and people are watching, and people are listening, the question is, what will you do? Will you stand? I guess it boils down to how much Jesus really means to us. Does Jesus mean enough to you to stand for Him? Does Jesus mean enough to you to remain true to Him even when you are the only one in the room who believes? Paul knew what that was like. The year was 328 B.C. in a city high in the icy mountains of Armenia. It was a bitterly cold winter, and in the middle of that winter an order came from the Roman emperor that every man, woman, and child under the rule of his empire must bow down to him as a god. Now, there was a powerful force of Roman soldiers in that Armenian city. They were known as the Thundering Legion, and their reputation as a powerful military force was known all throughout the Roman Empire, the Thundering Legion. But the emperor was not satisfied with their reputation. He wanted their worship. So he ordered all his soldiers to bow down to him. Well, when the time came for each soldier to bow down, 40 of those soldiers would not bow down. They were faithful soldiers, but more importantly, 
They had heard the truth of Christ, and they had pledged their allegiance to follow Him. They were Christians. They could not obey the emperor's order to make Him their God. They said, we can only worship the one true God, Jesus Christ. Well, when the word of these 40 Christian soldiers refused, refusing to bow down and worship Him was received by the emperor, his command back was very simple. Bow down to me, reject your Christian God, or die. But the 40 Christian Roman soldiers did not bow down. So the decision was made that they should die. But how should they die? Should they be fed to the hungry lions? Should they be burned at the stake? These were terrible ways to die. But an even more cruel death was prescribed. They were to be frozen to death in the bitter cold winter. They took the 40 soldiers to a frozen lake in the middle of a terrible storm, a blizzard. They stripped them of all their clothing, and they sent them out on that lake to freeze to death. But the general didn't want to lose these 40 good soldiers. He said, men, simply bow down to the emperor and save your life. They would not do it. The other soldiers on the bank taunted and laughed at them. Soon you'll be back, soon you'll, you'll bow down. But the laughing stopped when these 40 Christians bravely walked barefoot across the icy lake, the frozen lake. Through the night, the other soldiers, they built a fire and cooked food to tempt the Christians to give up. But the Christians prayed for God to make them brave. And they began to shout, Here die 40 men for Christ! The freezing bitter cold night went on until finally the cold was too much. For one of the men, he staggered back to the fire and agreed to denounce Christ and bow down to the emperor. But the remaining 39 Christians would not give, a, give in, even though they were literally, literally freezing to death. And then amazingly, something happened that they could not believe. One of the Roman soldiers sitting by the fire, having watched the bravery and courage and faith of these dying Christians, he stood before the general and he uttered these words. He said, I'll take that man's place. I will be a Christian. As the general watched in amazement, this Roman soldier removed his clothing and walked onto the icy lake to join the 39 others. The Roman soldiers who sat by the fire, they sat there all night long. And the last thing they could remember hearing through the howl of that terrible freezing weather, winter storm, was 40 men shouting, Here die! Forty men for Christ. In the morning, sadly, there were forty frozen bodies. Men who had sacrificed everything to stand for their faith in Christ. These men, like Paul, had a faith that stood in the face of persecution and death. We need to ask ourselves, what about our faith? Let's pray. As we bow our heads today, Let me ask you something. Who are you standing with? Are you standing with the many in the world who are doing the wrong thing? Or are you standing with the few who are doing the right thing? As believers, we're going to face, face those moments, defining moments when our faith will stand or not. And maybe you've already faced such a moment when your faith was put to a test, what happened?
What happened? Perhaps your moment to stand is every day at work. You say, Pastor, I'm going through that every day. I feel all alone. There's a lot of viciousness around me. There's a lot of unbelief and, and darkness around me. And where I work or at school or at home, the question is, are you standing for Jesus? Are you like Paul trying to persuade, trying your best to persuade someone in that room to follow Jesus? Does anyone around you, like Festus heard Paul, does anyone around you notice your faith? Agrippa heard Paul. He said, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Is anyone noticing your faith that way? Or maybe you need Jesus in your life. You need a new faith in Him. I want you to pray with me today. Maybe you need Jesus in your heart. Why don't you pray and say, Dear Jesus, today I recognize my need for you. I recognize that I have not been standing for you and following you. I've been part of the devil's crowd, and I'm sorry for it. I realize that all they have is this life, but Jesus, thank you for giving me an opportunity to have eternal life with you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for my sins and come into my life and be my Savior forever. I promise today, Jesus, I will follow you. Thank you, Jesus. Help me stand, even if I have to stand alone for you. If you prayed that prayer, and Jesus has come into your life, that's the greatest thing. In a moment, I'll stand here at the bottom. And I'll uh, uh, greet you and pray for you if you need help. I'll be glad to do that. And if you're watching, I'd love for you to message me and let me know you accepted Jesus. We'll pray for you. Maybe you want to be a part of our church family. I can help you with that. But I'll, we just want, to, just want to stand for Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that makes us strong. God, help us stay in it. I pray, Father, for those that made decisions today that your Holy Spirit touched their heart. And God, I pray that they'll follow through. And wherever they are this week, they'll remember to stand for you, Lord. Because really, even when people around us reject Jesus, they really need Jesus. Help us stand in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay? Won't you stand with us as we sing together, He Knows My Name. Each team.